Happy spring break to all those of you who didn't get to go anywhere. Do I got this on right? Am I good? We're continuing on with our story of Joseph. You enjoying this? It's one of my favorite stories. Now, uh, today we land at the beginning of chapter 41. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, Genesis 41. Now, there's only a couple weeks left before Palm Sunday and Easter. So we're not going to get to do every verse and chapter of this entire story. So if I were you, I would go home, you know, and in my own time, make sure you read through all of 37 through 50 in Genesis. It's such good stuff in there about the story of Joseph. It's, it's really one of the best narratives in all of the Bible, in my opinion. Um, but today we're in 41. Actually, next week we're going to be in the second part of 41. So just camp out in 41 for a little bit. We've been talking a few weeks ago about these God moments. The last 15 years we celebrated Heritage's birthday and the moving in of this building and all the things that God has done, all these stories that we have where we go, you know, the only reason that happens is because the only explanation is that God was at work. And I was thinking through things in my own life, and you probably had these markers, these spiritual markers in your life too, you know, where you go, that was an only God moment in my life. And it prepared me for another only God moment. And it prepared me for another only God moment. And I was thinking all the way back in eighth grade, um, I don't even know if I was a Christian to be honest, but I was a church kid. And I had a friend named Jenny. She was from Korea, and her family, definitely not Christians. They probably even served foreign gods, you know, and things like that. But Jenny started coming to church with us, and there was this one service where Jenny's mom showed up. Now, that was totally rare. She would not come to church, especially a Christian church. But I knew. She was sitting in the very back wall, and I was at the front row. I'll never forget. And I just, as an eighth grader, they got to the end of the service, and they were doing an invitation, and I thought... I'm just going to pray. You're supposed to pray. And I pray. I said, God, you know, I'm praying for Jenny's mom that she's hearing about the good news of, of Jesus today. And I'm praying as much as I know how to pray. My eyes are closed. I'm praying. And I open my eyes. And sure enough, if Jenny's mom was not down front talking to the preacher and God was like, look, I'm going to tell you, if you'll pray, I'm going to answer. And he taught me that at a young age. And I remember that was the only God moment to to set up other only God moments. There was a night where I was about 21-ish. I was a believer. I knew I was being called into ministry. And I was trying to figure out what the plan was. And, and me and God stayed up all night long one night. And Bible was open, lots of tears, lots of crying out, trying to figure out the next step. And that's when he started the Face Down Ministries that we did for a bunch of years, traveling around, leading worship for events and things. And then there was this time where... That was kind of coming to an end, and Brooke and I, it seemed like God was leading us to serve at a church somewhere. We lived in Dallas where we grew up. Our families were there, but it seemed like he was calling us away from our homes, and I needed a very specific answer. God, you better not blow this one. I mean, if I take her away from her family and it goes wrong, I'm going to be to blame forever. And there was two churches, one in Georgia and one in Leesburg, Florida, of all places, and I went to a service one night, and I said, God, I'm fixing to lead worship. We're going to listen to preaching. We're going to be here two hours focused on you. This would be the perfect time for you to tell me Georgia or Florida. And we had the service. You know, I'm leading worship. I don't even know what I was singing. I'm thinking, I'm looking for signs, you know, like, what are you going to tell me, God? We, I'm, the preacher's preaching, and I'm, I'm looking for Florida or Georgia in the Scripture. And I'm listening for prayer, and, and we get to the end of the service, start packing up our gear, nothing. And I'm like, God, what happened? I really thought, 
And we went to the car. I was loading stuff in the trailer, and my cell phone was in the truck. We didn't take it everywhere with us because it didn't do anything except for make calls. And I had missed a call, and there was a voice. It said one voicemail, and I knew. God goes, that was your answer. I knew right away. He had answered during the time, just he had done it outside in the truck. And, and there, was a voice, there was a voicemail from Sidney Brock, and I knew. I was like, okay, we're going to Florida. I did listen to it just to make sure, but... but <laughs> But we, we ended up moving to Florida, and then, you know, that was an only God moment. He was always faithful, and he would prepare me, say, if you'll pray, I'll answer. If you pray, I'll answer. If you'll be faithful, I'll be faithful. And even when you're not faithful, I'll be faithful. And then a few years later, again, Sydney called again. I think he wants us to plant a church, and I knew. And the guy said, yeah, now. And, the, and I knew that he had prepared me to say, why would he mess us up now after all that he's done faithfully through all these years? And so Joseph, I feel like, is in that same boat. You know, in our story, he's, God's been preparing young Joseph for some only God moments that are still to come, some that are even going to be bigger than he would ever imagine. You know, he gives him these two dreams as a young man and explains how that's going to go down. Then he's got these other dreams, and he gives him a successful interpretation from last week, the cupbearer and the baker. All these things, he's given him an understanding of God's presence in his life. We just sang this great song about having God's presence in us, being aware of that presence. I think Joseph was aware of God's presence in his life all these years, even through a great struggle. And so then we land at 41 today. So, so turn with me. We're going to start with verse 1 through 8. We're going to read through uh, quite a few verses today. Genesis 41, verse 1. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, you can uh, circle the word behold whenever you see it today. There came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. And they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows and Pharaoh awoke. He fell back asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears and Pharaoh awoke. And behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Let's pray just quickly. Father, uh, give us your word this morning. Uh, help us to understand it correctly. We want to know your presence this morning. We want to live in a way expecting only God moments in our lives. Amen. So last week at the very end of chapter 40, you know, we were brought into the palace of Egypt, okay? Now, it was Pharaoh's birthday party, remember? He threw himself a birthday party like all good world leaders would do. At that party, he took the cupbearer and the baker out of prison. I don't know if this was like a, you know, some kind of party game. You took them out. He put the cupbearer back into his position right next to Pharaoh, holding the cup again. But the baker, he just hanged him. And, and you know, we don't know if he, you know, flipped a coin. But, but it happened exactly the way Joseph said it would happen only a few, few days before that, remember? And so we're still there. But two more years have passed now. Two more years since that day. Okay, Joseph's still in prison. 
We were in Pharaoh's palace, but this time Pharaoh himself is the one that's dreaming. Now, the dream, in my opinion, starts out kind of normal. You know, you got these cows coming out of the Nile River. Apparently, that's a normal place for the cows. It's just a little weird that he's dreaming about attractive, plump cows, in my opinion, but whatever. You know, um, but the dream gets kind of creepy real quick because you got these gross, sick-looking cows that show up with cannibalistic tendencies and without even being instigated, they just scarf up the good-looking, plump, fat cows, okay? And now, understandably, Pharaoh wakes up. Wouldn't you wake up, okay? Probably has to change his pillowcase because he sweated through the first one. <laughs> and then he goes back to sleep, has another dream. Now, you know at this point that all the dreams in the narrative of Joseph come in pairs, right? Okay, we had the two dreams that Joseph had early on as a young boy. We had the cupbearer and the baker's dreams. So here comes the second dream of Pharaoh. And it's pretty much like the first, but instead of cows, we have plump ears of grain eaten by thin ears of grain. The dream so stunned Pharaoh that the narrator uses the word astonished or behold in Hebrew six times to indicate his response. He's so shook that when he wakes up in the morning, he assembles all the magicians in Egypt, all of its wise men, the Bible says. So this vast company of wizards and pagan priests, and they got their magic books, they're all showing up at Pharaoh's Pharaoh's house to try to interpret this dream, but it's very sad. It says there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Now, we as the listeners, we've been studying. We, ah, something's about to happen because we know a guy that knows how to do that. And remember last week when Joseph interpreted the cupbearer and baker's dreams, what did he ask them to do? To remember him. Yes, yeah, said, tell Pharaoh about me if you ever get back up in there. And they forgot him. He said, get me out of here. Get me out of prison. But, and that was two years prior. But all of a sudden, with these dreams of Pharaoh's and all the people showing up and nobody being able to interpret it, and the cupbearer standing there, again, holding his cup, I guess, and he goes, wait, hey, remember that guy, Joseph? Now, look at verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. You, you know, you don't just start talking to Pharaoh, okay? You got to be careful about what you say. I, I remember my offenses. I uh, don't want to bring them up because you threw me in prison for them, but I just want to say I remember. I'm humble. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants, put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker, he was hanged. Now, you don't just raise your hand and offer up information to the Pharaoh, okay? You don't, hey, hey, Pharaoh, you have to be very careful. You know, you don't just barge into Sid's office and go, Sid, let me tell you what we're going to do. Okay, you got to be careful. He's the man in charge. I mean, you remember what Jacob did, right? Remember it got Jake at our church? Yeah, exactly. You don't remember. Yeah, he's in South America somewhere. Yeah, you don't just tell Sid what you're going to do. But the cupbearer, he's thinking, okay, I, I have an answer to Pharaoh's problem, and this will probably make me look good if it goes good, but you got to be careful. He says that... Um, let me, let me just tell you, sir, I'm, I'm very humble. I remember my problems and all the bad things I did. Um, but there had been a fellow prisoner with me, 
Um, and, and, he, and he says, I remember my offenses, but he was pretty good at telling people what their dreams meant. And it's a pretty fairly accurate account. Now, the cupbearer is pretty political, I think, if you will look. He, he does some selective editing. He does not mention that the young Hebrew actually said, no, I can't do it, but God, Yahweh, the Hebrew God will do it. Because you don't tell uh, Pharaoh that the Hebrew God is going to tell him his dreams. Um, he also did not mention that he was supposed to have told Pharaoh two years ago about this, and he, he forgot about that. Okay, verse 14. Pharaoh at this point is basically willing to try anything, so Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. They quickly brought him out of the pit, and when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. Look at all those verbs. Sent and called, quickly brought him out of the pit, shaved himself, changed his clothes, came in before Pharaoh. There's a bunch of activity going on. Joseph gets in front of Pharaoh as quick as possible. Now, Hebrew men, uh, in, in contrast to the Egyptians, they wore beards, okay? So in a flash, Joseph, he got shaved and, you know, sanitized and Egyptianized and presented to Pharaoh. This young Hebrew had gone from the pit to the palace in an instant. And now... Handsome, young, well-built Joseph, who's had a lot of success in his life, even in the midst of struggle. He looks probably more like an Egyptian than a Hebrew at this, a Hebrew at this moment. And he is standing there in front of Pharaoh. Okay, this is Pharaoh, the guy in charge of Egypt. He is the world leader of world leaders at this moment. Okay, and he's in his throne room. But he's not standing alone because Yahweh, the God of of, of the Hebrews, the God of the Israelites is with him, just as he had been with him in Potiphar's house, just as he had been with him in prison. And even though God is not mentioned here, have you noticed that? God was at work. God had orchestrated this perfect timing. What if the cupbearer had remembered Joseph right off the bat? That probably, Pharaoh probably wouldn't, oh, you got a guy that can tell dreams. Like, I, I don't need, I don't, have, I don't have any dreams. I don't need him right now. Probably would have, you know, been lost on Pharaoh. But at the perfect moment, the cupbearer remembers Joseph. Verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, nope, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So here's Joseph in front of Pharaoh, okay, in his palace, in the throne room. Imagine, if you will, being brought into the Oval Office, you know, right before the president, like maybe one of the older presidents of the United States. You might be really, really more intimidated. You know, you walk in, and it's, and it's a guy who's done a lot of good. Imagine if you were brought before Abraham Lincoln in the Oval Office, okay? Imagine that, okay? I'm not trying to be political. You know that. I'm just saying, because of uh, TikTok, you know, it's not all intimidating. But you'd be thinking there. You would be thinking, okay, how am I standing, right? What am I, what am I doing with my hands? Um, and if he called on you, you would be so concerned about what you were going to say and how you were going to respond. It's the President of the United States. Well, that's, that's Joseph. He's there in front of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, hey, I got a dream and no one can do it. I've heard you can do it. Is that the right? Is that right? And you would, oh, yes, um, yes, sure, maybe. And he goes, no, 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 that's not in me. Joseph is, is so funny. Um, he didn't melt. He goes, no, um, it's not in me. And then he directs Pharaoh away from himself to the God of creation. And he says, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. 
no meltdown. Joseph, all still, observed carefully that he told Pharaoh, did you know Pharaohs themselves were considered lowercase g gods, like incarnate gods, okay? He tells the incarnate lowercase g god that uh, he's kind of nothing and that the God of, of the Israelites is superior to him and all of Egypt and all gods. No different than when he was in prison in the pit and no one else was around. So it wasn't just because he told the cupbearer and baker, hey, God can do it when no one else was listening. He told Pharaoh to his face, Joseph had not changed one bit in his trip from the pit to the palace. Now, this could have ended everything right there, right? Pharaoh could have not liked what he heard and said, okay, out with this guy, hang him, let's try something else. Um, but Pharaoh is so distressed about his dreams, he's willing to try anything at this point. What alarmed him is that to this point, even with all the guys he employed, all the magicians, all the wise men, and all their books, no one could give him an answer about his dream. Now, this is all very remarkable. As one theologian, Hamilton, says, with immense subtlety, the documenting of Pharaoh's helplessness and fear emphasizes the mortality and finiteness of the dreamer, the Pharaoh God. Pharaoh was a mere man. The God of Israel, the one and only true God, was rising high, even in Egypt. Okay, he's at work here. So Pharaoh tells Joseph the dreams. He tells it pretty much the same. He, he gives him a, a couple of extra um, adjectives as he's describing the cows and everything. Same kind of idea, cannibal cows, cannibal grain, pump, thin, all that stuff. Okay, we're going to jump to verse 25. So Joseph has listened to Pharaoh explain the two dreams. Verse 25, Joseph said to Pharaoh, I want you to notice how beginning, middle, and end of Joseph's explanation is all about God. Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. He does it again. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them there will arise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Interpretation is completely God-centered. Joseph had already twice declared that God is the source of interpretations. He told the cupbearer and baker that, and he told Pharaoh that before Pharaoh even told the dreams. God's going to do it. I don't do it. God does it. Beginning, middle, and end, Joseph makes his interpretation about God. Joseph basically announces to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt, for, for the matter of fact, that the one true God controlled their existence. See, in a nation like Egypt, with a leader like Pharaoh... You basically think you can get away and do anything that you plan to do. All the, think about all the world leaders throughout history. Pharaoh was standing there, the leader of Egypt, assuming that they had all the control and power that they could ever imagine. And little Joseph says, no, 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 no. 
Actually, you have no control. The God of the universe is in complete control. Walter Brueggemann, another theologian, he says this, The future in Egypt does not depend upon Pharaoh. He does not get to decide. In fact, Pharaoh is irrelevant and marginal to the future of the kingdom. Joseph has calmly announced to the Lord of Egypt that the future is out of his hands. In Genesis 41, it is clear Pharaoh can cause no future, nor can he resist the future that God will bring. Do you remember when Jesus was arrested many years later? Do you remember that? And he was brought before Pilate, and Pilate questioned him, but Jesus didn't answer his questions. Do you remember that? In John 19, we, we find that in verse 10. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Only God is sovereign. Only God gives and takes away all earthly authority. If you are in a position of authority, you have it because God gave it to you. If you have lost authority, you lost it because God took it away from you. Anything that is going on in this earth, created by God, is sovereignly being taken care of by that same God. He gives authority, he takes authority away. Joseph finishes the interpretation, and I love this. He doesn't even wait for Pharaoh to respond. I mean, after you told Pharaoh this very specific interpretation about what's about to happen for the next 14 years, wouldn't you lean in and go, is that okay? Yeah, are, are, is, is that an okay answer? Do you agree? Do you think I'm you know, off my rocker? Do you think that makes sense? Are you going to kill me? Um, he doesn't even wait for that. Um, you know, he, he just confidently goes right into a plan and tells Pharaoh what he should do next. Okay, look at verse 33. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine." Fascinatingly, every aspect of Joseph's plan calls for dynamic action. Did you, did you pick up on that? Here's why that's fascinating to me. Joseph's call to action was based on his knowledge about what God was going to do. Think about that. Knowledge of knowing, the knowledge of what God is going to do does not produce passive resignation, but aggressive action. Just because we know what God's going to do, we don't go, oh, I can just sit back and let God do what he's going to do. No, no, it's, it's a call to action. The knowledge of God's purpose is not the end of human planning and action, but the beginning of it. The fact that God has set the future is actually a mighty summons to action for the Christian. If we know, for instance, that God is going to bring this world to an end, and we know that he is going to send Jesus back again, to assemble his family, those who have put their faith in him in order to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal salvation, then we better be at work, amen? 
Amen? I hope we better have aggressive action. The mission, we ought to be telling everyone we can that Jesus is coming back and tell them about the good news that they can have their sins forgiven. We don't just sit back and go, oh, he'll take care of it. We know he's going to work. So that puts us into action. If we know that God is bringing more people to the city of Fruitland Park because the leaders of the city of Fruitland Park tell us. People are moving to Florida. People are moving to Fruitland Park. This is what's coming. This is what's happening. We don't sit back and say, all right, let's just see what God's going to do. No. We get to work. We take everyone in the church. We get up. We raise up leaders. We create more space and environments to, to minister to the people who will find their way to heritage in the future years so that we can share the good news of Christ with them. That's what we do. We go to work. As we get ready to finish up today, I want to I share really one quick illustration. I really believe our ability to be ready for these only God moments is connected to our awareness of God's presence in our lives. I think that was Joseph's secret. Our ability to hear the Father's voice, to, to feel him directing us in some sort of way. I really think that 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 happens when we are aware of his presence in our lives. Joseph clearly felt God's presence in his life. And I believe it's because Joseph never took his eyes off of God. You see, at the age of 17, if we go back to the beginning of our story, 17, he was beaten and sold into slavery by his very own brother, 17. And then things finally started to go positive for him in Potiphar's home until he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, right? He's thrown into prison. It's at the age of 30 that we get to him standing before Pharaoh to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. 17 to 30, 13 years 13 years of betrayal, 13 years of pain, 13 years of, of darkness in the pit of prison, 13 years of struggle, and not once do we have a record of Joseph complaining, blaming, blaming God, or saying, hey, God, why me? And I think it's because he never felt alone or left alone by God because he kept his eyes on God. He knew that God's presence was in his life. Not one indication of Joseph believing God's presence had ever left him at any time. I think that's why Joseph is always so confident. It's not that he was cocky. It's just he knew that when God says something, God does that something. And so he got done telling Pharaoh the dreams. He immediately just goes and tells Pharaoh what he should do next, not because he thought he had all the answers, because he knew God did. I mean, let me show you something. Melvin, come help me. Come, come here. You're in the front row. You get chosen. Okay, here, I'll move this over. Turn, turn and face that wall with you. There you go. Let me ask you a question. Am I with Melvin? It's not a trick. There's no grade. Am I with him? Yes. Yes, I'm with him. Now, if I were to not move or not touch him in any way or not say anything, can you see how he might think I'm not with him? Mm, 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 yeah. Even though I'm right here, if I don't move, if I don't touch him, he might think that I'm not. But when he turns around and he puts his eyes on me, does he now know that I'm with him? Yeah, thank, thank you. See, let me, let me say this. When we don't sense God's presence in our lives, it's not a lack of his nearness. It's a lack of our awareness. Is that on the board? It's, hey, let me say that again. Look, when we don't sense... Take a picture. When we don't sense God's presence in our lives, it's not a lack of his nearness. It's a lack of our awareness. 
we have taken our eyes off of him when we don't sense his presence in our lives because he has promised to never leave us and to never forsake us. Never. No matter what situation we find ourselves in, no matter betrayal, struggle, pain, darkness, he will never leave us or forsake us. But when we take our eyes off of him, we believe that maybe he's left us. We believe that maybe he's not near, and that's not the case. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Listen for his voice. Be ready for only God moments that are planned to push you into action. You with me? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you have promised to never leave us. We are so grateful that you have promised that in this world where we're going to struggle and have problems, that you have overcome this world. And because of those promises, we can trust it. Trust in you. We can keep our eyes fixed on you and know that you are at work in this world, that all things depend on you, rely upon you. They happen because you set them in motion. Father, we want to be a part of your big plan. Open our eyes to see what you are at work doing and help us to join you in that. Show us more and more only God moments so that it just builds our faith stronger and stronger. Thank you that we are part of your family and I pray that you would allow us to be part of the bigger kingdom picture. You alone are God and sovereign and worthy. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. We'll see you guys next week as we keep going on to the 41. <laughs>